You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, hello everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos here, whether you may be uh, on the roads possibly, driving home from work, uh, whether in the Perth CBD, down in the southwest, in the goldfields, wherever you may be driving uh, at the moment. No doubt you've experienced what has been a very, very wintry day and a dangerous day too with those uh, damaging winds and the torrential rain and the thunderstorms that have all come uh, with the package uh, for this Wednesday. So do take care as you make your way home. In the meantime, we've got plenty coming up between now and 6 o'clock. Uh, my special guest, after speaking to Phil Cracker last night, wasn't that an interesting chat? Uh, being inducted in the WA Football Hall of Fame, we found out from Phil what it meant to him, uh, his beginning of his football career in Mount Barker, how he came to Claremont. We also spoke to his very first waffle coach in Graham Moss last night. Then we went from Mossy into Phil Cracker, his days at North Melbourne. And of course, the package came Phil and Jimmy through Ron Joseph, who was the big talent manager for the Kangaroos during those resurgent years in the late 70s and early 80s under then coach Ron Barassi, as we know, he had Malcolm Blight there as well, and they were a star-studded outfit, were North Melbourne. And he spoke about the racism factor, that both he and his brother Jimmy were subjected to a lot of racial abuse in their playing days, both in the WAFL and also in the VFL, as it was known then. And he went on by saying that he felt at that stage of his career there weren't a lot of Indigenous players playing particularly in the VFL. Therefore, they were targets and targets on a daily, weekly basis when they were playing as well. But it was an interesting chat to Phil Cracker last night. Tonight, we're going to speak to a pioneer of women's Australian football. Jan Cooper was also inducted into the West Australian Football Hall of Fame. A real passion for sport a huge love for AFL, and as we found out, she was pivotal in introducing the Women's League into the AFL competition. So we'll speak to Jan Cooper, congratulate her on a Hall of Fame induction, and also find out from her about uh, her passion, being football, particularly with women's football and the AFLW getting underway for an AFL, uh, for an eighth season. So we'll speak to Jan Cooper a bit later on. Also, there was a very interesting interview overnight conducted in the UK on the TalkSport UK radio network, which is not too dissimilar to what we do here at SENWA, 24-7 sport on the SEN network. 
with Ange Postacoglu, the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. And I'll feature some of that a bit later on as well in the back half of our program tonight. But, of course, the breaking story of the day, thanks to Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. Well, there's been two in some ways. The fallout to Maynard, Braden Maynard, being free to play uh, in uh, the remaining finals campaign for Collingwood and the fact that the AFL has decided against appealing the tribunal's decision to clear Braden Maynard for his knockout blow on Melbourne's Angus Brayshaw. Firstly, uh, there was a biomechanist, Michael Cole, was featured on the SEN network today. And this is what he said on the areas he was asked to address in the evidence last night. In in my mind, sadly, it was it was something that that uh, could have only been avoided really if uh, if Maynard had not elected to to try and smother the ball. Whether he should or he shouldn't have done, I guess, is something that only he could answer. And and, and any of us who have played sport will know that that uh, decisions are made on the spur of the moment. But um, again, once he was airborne. Um, his his trajectory was uh, was predefined by uh, by physics. Given the footage that that I had available uh, for the purposes of this review, uh, I was able to sort of deduce that the time between the ball passing uh, Mr. Maynard's hands or arms um, would have given him no more than 400 milliseconds uh, to make an alternate decision um, prior to the collision. Uh, so we know that reaction times uh, under fairly controlled conditions can be as little as half that, um, but uh, we also know that in more complicated and, and dynamic environments, they can be significantly longer as well. So th- that felt like the nub of it. There was no... It felt like in the finding that there was no time for a conscious decision to either brace or brump, bump. This was falling and flinching. That, that's that's uh, I think in some of the, the notes of the uh, the blog following my, my after I left the the uh, tribunal there was some discussion around I think flinching was a word used by one of the other uh, tribunal members so yeah so it, it was really whether it was more of an instinctive uh, reaction or response to the impending collision or whether it was uh, a purposeful positioning of the body uh, and I, I felt that it was there wasn't enough. Uh, information there uh, to really make a conclusive determination one way or the other. So there you go. That's uh, the biomechanist, uh, Michael Cole. He was on the Waitley program in SEN in Melbourne today. And the other big story, Trevor Nisbet on the decision that he will be resigning uh, at the end of his contract term, which uh, ends at the end of the next football season in 2024. I said to the run home boys, I'm just wondering why they needed to conduct a press conference, the West Coast Eagles today. Um, Paul Fitzpatrick, uh, the chairman of the West Coast Eagles, and Trevor Nisbet, the CEO, both addressed the media at 10.30 this morning. And in the end, there was nothing real new that came out of it, other than they are now and have been working towards a succession plan for when Trevor Nisbet finishes his tenure at the end of 2024. And Nizzi did also suggest, prior to this press conference, that he was undecided whether he'd seek a new term. That's the only thing that probably came out of this, that he has decided not to seek an extension on his term past 2024. But whether it needed a full-blown press conference, I'm not sure. I reckon a a statement from the club may have sufficed. But anyway, this is what Nizzi had to say uh, regarding him stepping down as the long-term 
CEO of the West Coast Eagles at the end of the next football season? Well, it's, it's been three or four months in the making. Um, we, we sat down as a board and, and certainly it's been in the back of my mind for a, a while. And, and once Paul and I had so many discussions about it uh, over the last three or four months, and then the decision was pretty easy in the end. I mean, we need, we need time to look for someone. Um, we, if we waited till next year, uh, a lot of the people are already in positions that we'd like to talk to. And I guess the board, when they're setting this up, they need time to, to gather their thoughts. So, yeah, it, it's taken three or four months to get to this. We believe in the process we're going through at the moment. Someone could come in next year and have a look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, it's an old cliche that I guess the only way is up for us. We're, we're looking at building a, a brand new football team and we started it a couple of years ago. We're, we're going to go through this process and it's been really tough. But I, I think a new CEO coming in, it'll give them a great opportunity to, uh, to be part of a, a successful um, football team again, but also part of a successful club. So the wash up to Braden uh, Maynard's uh, a verdict last night, uh, that being today the wash-up and everybody having their opinion on it. And, of course, Trevor Nisbet coming out today to say that at the end of his contract, his current contract with the West Coast Eagles, that'll be it for him as the CEO of the club. The two major stories today for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. We'll take a break. On the other side of the break, we'll speak to... Jan Cooper, uh, firstly to congratulate her on being inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame the other night and also talk to her about her trailblazing journey when it comes to Australian rules football and where she sees it going from here and forward, particularly with the AFLW. So Jan will join us next here on Sports Day WA. Yes, great to have you company. You can join us on the Tempera Bedshed text machine line anytime 0487 736 736 or call 13 12 uh, I mentioned it's been a, a wild day right throughout, particularly the Perth metropolitan area, the southwest, uh, in the midwest, and even out to the gold fields. Now, Norman Cal says, Pete, uh, Hope you're all good. Not so much wintry here in Cal today, about 31 degrees, but very blustery. And now no power for the last 40 minutes. So Norm there in Cal is listening to Sports Day WA in the dark. Let's hope the power is flicked on shortly through the lights, likes of Hannon Street and beyond there through Kalgoorlie Boulder. It's a quarter past five. And, of course, you can chat with mates. Uh, mate, fair dinkum, internet without the fuss. And Jan Cooper is considered a mate by many in the football community. And we thought we'd get her on tonight to congratulate her as uh, becoming the first uh, female inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame. Jan, thanks for your time. Oh, pleasure, Peter. And good afternoon, listeners. And congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Did you see it coming? Uh, no, actually. Um, so you know, I just think there's so many deserving people who have contributed significantly to the women and girls pathway, uh, particularly long-standing long volunteers. Um, so, no, it was completely out of left field. And I sort of think, um, well... 
in my opinion, I was just doing my job really well because that's what I was paid <laughs> to do. So, but I will take it. <laughs> uh, Jan, I have spoken to you before. For those people that haven't heard about your journey with the great Indigenous game here in Australia, you were born into a football family, weren't you? That's where your interest started. Yes, I, from a very young age, um, used to follow my dad, who is also uh, in the Hall of Fame and uh, an immortal at Swan Districts Footy Club. I used to follow him to footy training, and um, mainly because I loved him. But, of course, as I got older and I realised what an incredible game it was, I, I fell in love with the game. So, so I've been... Um, a football tragic most of my life. <laughs> and, of course, your father, John Cooper, who formed such a, a great partnership, particularly in the early 80s, with then uh, the great coach in John Todd. They were inseparable, John Cooper and John Todd, and you would have remembered those days as well. Oh, absolutely. And when I was... Um, Toddy was very helpful to me too, to be honest, um, because I was an assistant head trainer during the three premierships in the 80s that... Toddy coached, um, and I and this was um, one of the things that women had to put up with in those days. I was a health and phys ed teacher, and I w- had made a state volleyball team, and I was just whinging to Toddy that I don't, I didn't know how I was going to represent the state because I had to take leave without pay for about ten working days, and Toddy went, "What? You know, because <laughs> men um, in the education department." were allowed to take leave with pay if they were representing the state. So he got a bucket out and, and passed it around the players. And then uh, after that game that day, he went upstairs to the members. And, you know, in those days in the 80s, they were sardines in the, in the members club and passed the bucket around there and explained to the members my plight <laughs> and virtually paid, virtually paid, paid for everything for my state. Um, trip as well as um, the wage that I was going to uh, lose as well. So I'll be indebted to Toddy for several reasons, and that's a big one. Did you catch up with him the other night by chance? Yes, I did. I had to boot him out of my chair, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, he was very supportive, as he always is. So, um, yeah, he's been a great addition to the friendships of our family. Yeah, no, an amazing man. I had the privilege of working with him uh, in the media for many, many years. He's a, he's a lovely man and still has a passion for the game. And, of course, congratulations to Mel Winnan as well for being elevated <sighs> to legend status. Uh, another special moment. You know, a lot of the new generation, if we can term it that way, that follow Australian rules football, unfortunately have got no connection to the likes of the Mel Winnans and the John Todds and these sort of... Yeah, you know, pioneers in some ways that established uh, football to where it is here in this state. Absolutely. And, like, I, I was a child uh, when I was sitting in the McDonald's stand or at Leadable Oval when Swans used to play West Perth. And there was two players that stood out for me. Um, one was Mel Winnan. I just just could not believe how often he got the ball <laughs> against Swans. I don't know who was supposed to be on him. <laughs> and the other one was Bill Dempsey. Um, and, you know, when when you see both of them talk in the media, they're both very quiet, humble men, um, but they were outstanding footballers. So I feel quite privileged that my gen um, understand what good footballers they uh, were. Tell us about 
when you felt that there was a gender that wasn't represented when it came to Australian rules football? We knew that other sports had embraced the female gender. We saw what the Matildas did in recent times when they were hosting or co-hosting a World Cup and everybody in Australia, and probably including Jan Cooper, got on board to support the Matildas in what their achievements was. And all of a sudden, people were saying this was the wake-up call in some ways that women's women's sport needed. Do you agree? Um, I think it actually started before that, Peter. And maybe it was only because it was the role that I was working in that we had to work so hard to get the decision-makers across the code to pay attention, but I feel like even back in say 2015, um, which isn't that far away, uh, you know, away actually, but the US women's soccer team uh, won a World Cup, and there was something like 93,000 people in the house, and that was the biggest World Cup uh, audience then. And so things just started to simmer around women uh, getting more mainstream media and more resourcing, etc. And I know I used them as an example, and they also fought very hard for getting an equitable wage. So they were ranked number one in the world, but were getting like a third of the pay that the US men's team was, and the US men weren't in the top 50 in the world. So the US soccer women publicly fought very hard to get um, an equitable wage. And I think they got there. And then more close to home, Cricket Australia decided that the Southern Stars, who are ranked number one in the world for all formats of the, the cricket game, should get equity. And in 2016, when they played one of their games um, at the MCG, I think it was 2016, 86,000 people were in the house to watch their um, World Cup game. And and then mean, meanwhile, in about the second year of AFLW at Adelaide Oval when Adelaide played Carlton in the grand final 53,000 people came in the house so there has been this groundswell of you know our community saying well we revere the women's game we're not comparing it with whatever the men do and and they deserve their place in the the sunlight as well so I think that the groundswell has happened and bubbled away for a bit, but the Matildas just absolutely smashed it. And um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, at Optus when the penalty shootout with France was on the big screen. And quite honestly, you thought that they would have been playing in front of us because the the crowd went berserk every time our girls got a penalty and groaned audibly every time we missed. So you can imagine they went off completely when we won that penalty shootout. So... I was as proud of that as I have been anything that's been happening in AFLW. Well, let's talk about AFLW. Uh, you've been a prominent figure in the Australian football community and a vocal supporter, as you've mentioned already, with the AFL Women's Program. Uh, inaugural season back in 2017. So uh, now I think this is the eighth season that the AFLW's uh, underway and as you know for the second season there is a full complement of 18 clubs are you comfortable the way it's progressing um i i am um i just i think the afl have got it right in terms of you know trying to equalize so allowing the expansion teams to play each other um, more than perhaps the top teams till the expansion teams find their um feet 
Uh, and I think the resources that they're putting into AFLW are good at the moment. Uh, what I would like to see more of is building the depth of talent through the state women's leagues. Uh, I think coaching needs to be more heavily supported so that we actually improve the quality of coaching, which will in turn improve the quality of the players coming through. I feel that um, we're perhaps plateauing a little bit with our depth of talent and, and we need to keep developing that strongly. Our participa uh, participation numbers are very strong, but I just feel the state women's leagues could be better supported um, in terms of full-time coaches, uh, you know, better strength and conditioning and medical um, personnel, etc., etc. That, to me, is the layer that needs more help. Of course, you're involved with the AFLW West Coast Eagles team and they actually gave you the number one ticket holder position in 2021. They've struggled a bit, as we know, and the last weekend they got belted by Gold Coast up there on the Gold Coast. Do you th and I've, I've said this a few times, they only get one week really of clear air and that's when the AFL has their bye leading into the finals campaign. And it's almost like the AFL is competing against its own product, which is AFLW. But the big contentious issue, Jan, is where do you position the season and how do you give it the yeah. profile that many people think it deserves, particularly up against now AFL finals? Yeah, I, I agree, Peter. But um, yeah, I think the AFL have to be supported to trial these things and just see how it pans out. Because if they don't have any evidence... They're making decisions based on basically nothing. So if the live audiences and the investment in memberships um, and TV audiences drop off because they're against the men's finals, then that will be the data they need to say, OK, well, that's not the right uh, space to position the AFLW. So uh, until they finish this season and then can review it and review the data, I think we just have to let it play out um, and, and I still think if we could somehow do a tier of ticketing to do double headers, um, you know, to me, uh, um, if you want to watch the AFLW and the AFL on the one day, you pay this price for ticketing and membership. If you only want to watch the women, you, you pay this and you go out before the AFL men play. If you only want to watch the AFL men, you pay this. And it might be a bit tricky to organise but I, I think even that's worth having a go because, like, if they were anything like my family back in the day, we'd be there first thing in the morning at, at the McDonald's stand and watch every game that Swans played through to the end of the day, and we loved it. So there must be some football tragics like us <laughs> who would love to watch the AFLW and then watch the AFL in their team. And there'd be others who don't, who want to watch just the women or just the men. So if we could somehow work out a system that could put them on as double-headers, I just think that's worth having a trial as well, if we could. Yeah, it certainly sounds uh, like a good idea. The other thing, I spoke to Michael Roberts, the Chief Executive of the West Australian Football Commission on the program the other day, and he announced that the WAFL, the W competition, as of 2025, the players will be paid. Is it too soon or is the timing right? Um, I, I think the timing's right because you, you need to hold the players accountable. You'd like to think that there's steps being made towards equity because that, again, enthuses 
people to come to the code because they are treated with the respect that they deserve and they're being treated as footballers, not a liability or a token. I'd also like, as I said, um, some resourcing to be uh, poured into the coaches, though, too, because to me it's all very well making that step for players, but if the coaches aren't rewarded too, are we going to attract the best possible coaches? Uh, And to me... I'd like to see that because there's enough models of best practice around the world that shows that when you actually um, pay coaches, give them full-time roles, they have more of a positive impact on improving the standard of skills and strength and conditioning of their players than if you're just paying players. So I'd like to see the Commission have a crack at um, having a program that pays the coaches, provides them extra mentoring and professional development and really improves the quality of the Rogers Cup and league coaches. Jan Cooper, we're talking to, who was uh, the other night inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame, richly deserved. You've always been promoting gender equality and diversity in sport, and we're seeing the remnants of it in some ways as assistant coaches. Do you think we're far away, Jan, of seeing a female take charge of an AFL men's football club. No, and if if she wants it, I reckon there's one that would do it already, and that's uh, Rebecca Goddard. Um, I, I think she's provided coaching successfully for both men and women over her time. She was a very successful um, ACT coach. Um, I think it was Tudnaron. I might have that wrong, back in the day. Um, And she has great rapport with both young men and young women. So if she wanted a role, I think she'd make an outstanding I think was Rebecca the the individual who applied for the North Melbourne job? She might have been. I'm Mm. not sure. But um, I know she certainly wanted to have more input so that she was a full-time coach at the Crows when she was the AFLW Premiership coach. But she was only part-time. And I know she put up a hand to do some work with the men but um, unfortunately, they didn't give her the role, so she left the club. So, so you, rec- you reckon, now. Jan? You reckon she's ready made? Oh, I do. I do. She she understands the game. She understands people. She's so hardworking and passionate. I think she'd be a superb um, head coach. How do you think it would be received when that decision is finally made, where a female takes charge? of an AFL men's club. I'm just wondering in that sort of male-dominated space how difficult it may be for the pioneer, the first person to take on that position. Yeah, and see, I'm a bit over the first, to be honest. Yeah. I just... I'm so... I'm a bit intolerant of it. I know it has to happen and you have to go through teething problems, but, you know, Geelong, for example, decided to make Daisy Pearce the first female assistant coach at at AFL level. So, you know, you just... And some people use the word, well, you know, the club has to be brave. Well, they don't. They actually just need to open their minds to the possibilities. And that, to me, is not even being brave. That's just being sensible and looking at, well, who's the best person for the job? And looking beyond um, the nepotism and the unconscious bias of what's always happened in the code. So um, I think 
yes, once there's one club who goes, yep, we'll have a crack at that, and it may it may not work. But I mean, there's lots of examples of male coaches who have been given the role, and it hasn't worked for the club either. So, you know, sometimes there's flops, and sometimes there's superstars. You just have to have a crack. So. Yeah. No. I'd also like the code to um, get a, a, a more CEO. Uh, we've got one at the moment, Jen Watts at North Melbourne, um, and there needs to be more because there's nothing to say that women won't make outstanding CEOs. So, Well, the West Coast Eagles CEO, Trevor Nisbet, after 25 years, will uh, give it away and uh, will retire from that position at the end of next season. Maybe there's somebody that the West Coast Eagles could headhunt that could be uh, a female yeah, CEO I'd like at to West see them Coast. Be doing yeah, do you yep, want to, is, there any, is there anyone you nominate? Uh, no, I'd have to give that some thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Jan, I love talking to you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for taking my call this morning and, and returning it and setting up the chat. Congratulations. I think there's everybody that's really excited about the direction that uh, women's football is going. Uh, it's breaking down barriers, and I think there's some exciting things to happen in the years to come. You're a trailblazer. You're an ambassador for the code, and uh, Richard deserve the other night. Thanks for spending some time with us here on SEN Sports Day. My pleasure, Peter. Thank you very much. Good on you, Jan Cooper. I remember a dad all those years ago, Johnny Cooper. What a passionate Swan Districts man he was. And his uh, daughter is just doing some great things as well. Uh, on the Tempera Bedshed text machine. Hi, Peter and team. Mother Nature Unleashed today. Great interview with Jan Cooper. Always enjoy listening to Jan and congrats to Jan being inducted in the WA Hall of Fame. So richly deserved for what she's done for women's sport. Peter, uh, Trevor Nisbet has been a wonderful CEO, a very successful one. He's been a very professional and smart operator and in the 25 years of CEO, he's turned the West Coast Eagles into a very financial and successful business with 103,000 members, four grand finals and many finals. Trevor has seen the club through its dark days with serious off-field issues and has come through the other side. In my opinion, uh, uh, I'm just losing the end of that text. In my opinion, uh, he's going to be sorely missed. I think that's what Lisa sort of says at the end. Got any of Lisa? Yeah, no, Nizzy's been terrific. Great football manager. Started his football as a player with East Perth and then became the football manager of East Perth. Recruited to Subiaco. And from Subiaco, he took on that role at West Coast, and then once Brian Cook moved on, was elevated to the CEO's position. All right, just for Polaris, uh, Australia's number one selling side-by-side -side brand, have a listen to this. This happened in the ODI last night that South Africa beat Australia, but the highlight for me was Sean Abbott. <laughs> seen and neither can I. That is possibly one of the best you'll ever see from Sean Abbott. Brent, it was supposed to be, oh my word, he's plucked it out and what a brilliant catch. 
If you haven't seen it, check it out. It is one of the best catches you'll ever see. An absurd catch in the outfield. Australia got thrashed last night, the hand of South Africa, but uh, Abbott produced a real mind-blowing effort to remove Marco Janssen in the 47th over, that diving effort. Uh, by the way, it was a, quite a comical match in some ways because Dave Warner was run out after losing his shoe. Uh, by the way, Australia lost uh, the third ODI by 111 runs. The series now stands at... 2-1. And that update, all thanks to Polaris. Plate clearance deals are on now. Save $2,000 on the Ranger 1000 EPS, plus get $1,000 free accessories. Coming up next, Ange Postacoglu, the Tottenham Hotspurs manager here on Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and our friends at Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre who have been serving WA now for over 45 years. Bit of a soccer segment now uh, when we look at the latest news to come out of the glory and also shortly you'll hear from Ange Postacoglu, the current manager of Tottenham Hotspurs. He was featured on a talk sport interview, which is the big 24-7 UK sporting radio network, similar to what we have here at SEN. And we'll feature some of the comments that he made in that chat on Talk Sport in the UK overnight. But the Perth Glory today released the fact that they have signed vastly experienced Socceroos midfielder Oliver Bazanic. He's joined the club from the Western Sydney Wanderers on a loan deal, which will run until January 2024. Now he's chalked up almost 200 A League appearances, and Glory's new recruit has been one of the competition's top performers since debuting for the Central Coast Mariners back in 2010. He's had successful spells in England, Switzerland, Japan and Scotland. And here in the A-League, he's played with Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory, the Mariners, where he, of course, was in touch with Alan Stadjic, the current coach of the Perth Glory and Western Sydney Wanderers. He's collected a championship, premiership, Australia Cup winners' medals along the way. And people may ask, why loan him? until January, where, of course, then there may be a situation where the glory may try and exercise the right to sign him outright. So we'll wait and see what happens with that uh, down the track. But he certainly will be a very handy player for the Perth glory in this upcoming season, where they've been quite aggressive in the marketplace. As I mentioned, Ange Postacoglu was featured on Talk Sport in the UK, an in-depth interview and he spoke to the co-host, Jim and Simon, about his plans for Tottenham Hotspur this season. As we know, the first Australian ever to manage in the English Premier League. And the first question that was asked of Ange was why he joined Spurs. I love a challenge, you know. I've done that through my whole career. That um, I guess every step along the way, wherever I've sort of decided about when to move, and I've usually moved on the back of success wherever I've been, is because there's a challenge out there that really stirs me. As you said, first, you've got to get asked. So it's, it's that's the first thing, and I was asked. Um, secondly is you look at what you're going into and... and I think the fact that it is, for all intents and purposes, one of the biggest clubs in the world, but it hasn't had success for a, for a very long time, was probably the key driver for me. Because I think when you go into a challenge like that, you know that should you be able to, you know, implement the things you want to, and you know, all things being able, it goes well. You you can make an impact and, and leave a mark um, on on the club you work for, and that's what I've tried to do with all my clubs. So. 
that's that was the biggest attraction for me the the, the fact that the club hasn't had a lot of success it, it kind of is coming off a, a particularly you know poor season even by its own standards and um, the opportunity there to create something Yes, they finished ninth and uh, not in the Champions League. In fact, they're not playing in Europe at all, Tottenham Hotspur, this season. Unlike his former club in Scotland in Celtic, who will be playing in the Champions League group stage, he spent two seasons there north of the border in Scotland. Uh, a lot of success uh, in his second season taking out the treble. That is the uh, Championship, the League and the FA Cup. And he still has some fond memories of his time at Celtic, particularly around the supporters. Look, it was a it was a it was a magical time for me. I, look, I, I've gone from managing one of the most famous football clubs in the world to now one of the biggest. I'm living the dream, and and yeah, my two years at Celtic. Um, I don't need to tell people that. That's that's that will stay with me forever, and mainly because of the supporters. Uh, it was a magical couple of years there, and um, you know. If, I keep saying to everyone, um, if you've got a bucket list of clubs you want to be involved with, uh, Celtic could be right at the top of that list. And Postacoglu, certainly successful at Celtic, of course, coming from the Yokohama Marinos uh, to take on that Celtic job. And people in Scotland thought, who is this bloke? But he certainly delivered great success in two years. And no doubt he's steadfast in his desire to bring success to Tottenham Hotspur by playing an exciting brand of football, which has been displayed early in this Premier League season. The challenge is, for me, the same everywhere, to get the team to play a certain kind of football that gives its own fans and punters something to get excited about on a weekly basis and bring success to the club. There's no other reason I do what I do. Uh, it doesn't matter where I've been. I want to bring success to this football club, play in a certain way. That never changes. I'm, I'm uncompromising in that. And... Um, success for me is winning things. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's not a, a desperation around just winning something because I just don't think that's, you know, that gets you sort of the sustainable opportunity to be successful. That for me, the roots of it, the foundation of it is just to play the game a certain way which I believe brings success, but also excites the punters. What's also interesting regarding Tottenham Hotspur, an exciting brand of football, but as we know, supporters, owners, and everybody in general these days is pretty impatient, particularly when you are a supporter and involved with Tottenham Hotspur. But Andrew's philosophy after signing that four-year deal is that uh, his aim is for long-term success rather than a quick fix trophy. Supporters should feel the way they feel. I'm not going to tell them to not be disappointed or, or not. But for me, I'm not in this job desperate to win something just to win something. I'm, I'm here because I want to create a club that has the opportunity to win things on a yearly basis. And there's a difference, yeah, because us winning a Carabao Cup and finishing 10th is not what I think this club's about. And that's not dismissing the Carabao Cup. You know, I, I, I want to win every game. Trust me, I wasn't... Uh, I was disappointed on that night as well, but... That's not the end game for me. It's not about just winning something for the sake of winning something. It's about building something. I mean, that's that's what's always driven me my whole career. I want to build clubs that are, have sustainable success and supporters going to every season, feeling good about their prospects and watching their team play football. When you look at the uh, rivalries in football in the UK, he's come from Celtic where, of course, their arch rivals were their Glasgow neighbours in Rangers. And they were big matches played in front of 50,000, 60,000 people at either Celtic Park or Ibrox. The big one in North London is Tottenham against Arsenal. 
And Ange is looking forward to it. Yeah, um, Sheffield United first, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Game at a time, game at a time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's it's a big game, and then look, you know, whenever I get stopped in the in the street these days, uh, that's the first fixture people talk about, whether whatever side of the fence they're on. So, yeah, it should be a great game. But um, like I said, I'm. I'm I don't like international windows, mate. I've got to sit with my fingers biting my nails today because I've got about you know half a dozen playing in games today. So we'll get yeah. through that and focus on the weekend. Yes, uh, there has been an international window because a lot of the Euro Championship qualifiers are being staged and being such a multicultural league, being the English Premier League, as Ange has pointed out, a lot of his players play for various nations around Europe and also in Africa, where the African Cup of Nations is being played as well, the qualifiers there. Ange has only been in the Premier League for only a few weeks, but uh, from all reports, he's enjoying it so far. My expectations going into it are pretty much the same as every other role I've got into. You kind of understand there's a challenge before you. And, uh, you know, whilst people, um, you know, I guess particularly over this side of the border are, are fairly infatuated with the Premier League, it's still a football club I need to take over and do, you know, the things I've always done. Um, you know, what I did at Celtic or in Japan or in Australia, um, but it's been great uh, in terms of me just being able to sort of get my feet under the desk and start working in the way I want to and, and sort of getting people to buy in. So it's uh, been enjoyable so far. And went on to also talk about not putting any ceilings on Tottenham's success in his tenure there. Don't like ceilings, don't like floors, don't like uh, any kind of uh, impediments <laughs> that, that limit anything you do in life, uh, Jim. You know, from my perspective, it's... Let's see where it takes us. When I started this off 26, 27 years ago as a manager, I left the bank to, to become a manager. I can tell you that there was probably plenty of ceilings that were put before me then. And I'm standing <laughs> today and who knows? Um, I, I don't work that way. For me, it's about trying to get this club to, to the levels where I believe it deserves to be. It's got unbelievable training facilities, stadium support. It's got all the ingredients you'd ever want for, for a club to have success. My role within that is to try and manifest that into something more tangible in terms of on-field and give the, the punters and supporters something to be proud of. Um, so who knows, mate? We'll see what the whatever, whatever the ceiling may exist. Let's see if we can smash through it. And finally, uh, Ange spoke about any success or otherwise now at Tottenham Hotspur is squarely on his shoulders. I'm going to take responsibility for whatever happens here, good, bad or otherwise. It's not going to, you know, if I don't succeed, it's not going to be because of, you know, something that exists within this club or external factors because I haven't been able to do what I want to do from myself, you know. And and, and the process for me now is about gaining the trust of everyone at the football club, the supporters, um, the people who run and, and, and own this club, the management, the players, the staff. That's up to me. It's all on me from now on. I think the only thing I ever asked for was that door to be opened and to be, I guess, supported, which I have been. And from here on, it's it's really down to me because I've accepted the role. I've accepted whatever challenges exist within this football club. I've accepted that and I'll, I'll take responsibility for that. Mm. Ange Postacoglu speaking to Talk Sport in the UK and uh, a good chat. We took a bit of that interview and featured it here on Sports Day WA. speaking to Jim and Simon, who are the uh, co-hosts of what is a very, very big sports network throughout UK and very well listened to, just like us here at uh, the Sports Entertainment Network, SEN.
and SENWA and the Sports Day program. All thanks to Kia, the EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. So the English Premier League is back this weekend and the fixtures resume on Saturday with Wolves against Liverpool. We've got Tottenham, as Ange mentioned, against Sheffield United. Then they take on Arsenal. Manchester United are at home to Brighton. Fulham in London take on Luton Town. West Ham against the champions Manchester City and Aston Villa against Crystal Palace. In the other games uh, to be staged, Newcastle at home to Brentford. Bournemouth against Chelsea. Everton against Arsenal and Nottingham Forest against Burnley. So they're the English Premier League fixtures to be played this weekend. And just before I go, just letting you know that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in-store at Beaumont Tiles before November 12, and you're in with a chance to win. TNCs do apply. Thanks for your company on the program today. We'll be back with footy selections night tomorrow night here on Sports Day WA. We'll tell you how the teams are lining up for the two semifinals on Friday and Saturday in the AFL, plus so much more. So I look forward to your company from 5 o'clock tomorrow. Finally, thanks to Jimmy and also Brian for assisting with the program tonight. Catch you tomorrow at 5 here on SENWA.